This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 149. Today on our show, Jeff Thomas. You guys in Cincinnati, you should totally do this. She said, great, and take it to Jeff and Jen. She played it for us. We listened to it, the way they were doing it out there, and I hated it. I said, there's no way. If this is not who we are. This isn't what we do. And I, what I didn't like about it, I, it wasn't the bit itself that I didn't like. I just didn't like the way they made fun of people. Jeff, of course, is one half of Jeff and Jen off of Q102. He sits down with us to talk about growing up with a learning disability, how he got interested in radio, the first time he teamed up with Jen, his thoughts on Cincinnati, his love of Cincy shirts, plus a whole lot more. If you've been liking the podcast, you can help support it via PayPal or Venmo. Simply use podcast at cincyshirts.com and chip in whatever you feel is fair. Also, be sure to listen for that special promo code for 20% off to the end of the episode. Now let's talk to Jeff Thomas. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-E-T-I-Cincinnati. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-E-T-I-Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at cincyshirts.com in Cincinnati. Hey Jeff, long time no talk, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, long, yeah. long overdue, I reckon. Well, I tell you what, I, I know you cannot see this, but I'm going to go to my drawer here. Uh-oh. Huh. Very, very clean room you have there. And, uh, well, it's kind of sparse, but every single <laughs> one of these. Oh my wow. gosh. So yeah, I can describe for the listener right now. There's Every a stack. Every single one of these are Cincy shirts. It's got to be two dozen Cincy shirts. I'm seeing a, a turkey drop in there, a KRP logo, Hamilton. Yep. Hamilton. Uh, what else? Got to have KRP. <laughs> oh, Reading, Reading Road. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I mean. It's awesome. Wow. Oh, yeah. Started yeah. out with DeWine. T- wine with DeWine. DeWine time. So, Ohio. There you go. Ohio, oh, yeah. turkey drop. The Oakley Drive-In is one of my favorites. Ah, nice. Oh, Rancho. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anything that's related to a drive-in movie. Oh, neat. Love Molly Wells. Molly. Billiter. Burger Chef. Man. collection there. Anyway, I'm a fan. I'm not just a fan. I'm a client. Well, yeah. <laughs> Verified. <laughs> give that that's man so a, awesome. Give that man a blue check mark. <laughs> so what was the what was the do you remember the first time that you uh heard about our company or the first design that you saw of ours and you thought man that's different or uh, i think it might have been fiona that because because i used to live not that far from you but um i i don't think i ever I don't think I ever physically walked into the store and it wasn't, I think you guys sent a free Fiona shirt and I wore it on a, on a vacation trip to Los Angeles and I did, I took a selfie on the beach and I just happened to be wearing that shirt and I posted on Twitter and I've never gotten more like (laughs) positive, overwhelming feedback of anything I've ever posted than I did. It was because of that shirt. Peter Frampton said the same thing. I don't know if he said that or not, but he posted a picture <laughs> oh, really? of the shirt and it got a lot of likes. That was pretty wild. I forgot about that. But uh, it's it's funny. Like, you know, we talk about the way Fiona has transformed our company in terms of sales and growth, but a big part of that was I feel like it introduced our company to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it definitely put you on my radar for sure. And would you say that was the the shirt that really in your in your in your mind put you on the map? Um, I you know I don't know. It's obviously I would say Darren probably feels the same way. Like we have bias of there's certain there's certain designs that 
took us to whatever that next level was. I think um, starting out for sure it was even God hates the Steelers. Yeah, and that's, then, the, that's what I say. Bengals with and prison now, bars, I think, was a big one for until he made us yeah, take it we down. Got a, <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of press for our anti-Bengals. <laughs> um, All in fun. And then, and then I think our Pete Rose, Every Day I'm Hustling, became like the clear-cut favorite for a long time. So and then, how long would you say, like, from the time that you started the business to the time that you feel like you kind of like busted up, busted out wide open. How, how long, how much time do you think elapsed? I would say probably four years. And I would say that that was directly related to FC Cincinnati. What do you think, Darren? Yeah, that'd be my guess. I mean, as far as actually knowing the business and being confident that we weren't going to go under, I'd say last month. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that, I remember we were down there at that FC Cincinnati meeting. It was like us and Jeff Birding and uh, I don't know, a couple guys and they were just like looking at us like, what the heck? Like, what do you guys even want to do? And we were like, you know, we just want to do our thing, but with your logos, you know, kind of like a licensing deal. And we really didn't know what we were talking about. And anyway, they, they, they were like, oh, okay, we'll give you a chance. And I left that meeting. I said to Josh, I was like, man, I was like, I bet that was a $20,000 meeting right there. That's I just awesome. think that, you know, the, the sales that have come from that way exceeded 20 grand. Yeah, because like, you know, that years. meeting was before they ever played their first game. That oh, was wow. before the team had ever taken the field. So I think it became obvious that even they didn't know how popular they were going to be because when the crowd started showing up, they literally did not have enough merchandise to sell it to them. And so we were the only person that had approached them about coming up with like fan gear. So even the team was sending people to our store because they're like, we're out, you know? So I think that's when people started really hitting up our over the Rhine store. And I would say from when we opened over the Rhine until FC came along, it was the Ariana Grande donut licking shirt that really started getting people to show up at our store. Yeah, I lo- I mean I, that's I think that's one of the things that I just love about Cincy shirts is like you guys are so topical and you're right on it and and you seem to turn them around pretty quickly and for me personally like I love nostalgia even brands that I didn't necessarily have an opportunity to enjoy because I'm not from here originally so but I, but I I know Burger Chef. I'm aware of Burger Chef, and and I appreciate the nostalgia of Burger Chef. Same thing with Sohio and Chilitos, which is why, like, I probably wear those shirts. And I love the reaction I get from people who are like, "Oh my God, I can't believe you have that shirt!" You know, that's so cool. Where did you get that? I always tell them, "Since the shirts." Well, so I, I wanted for sh- I want to talk about your background, but just to sort of build off of that, like that was one of the things I think was really fun for us to actually have our first store. And even even a little before that, when we were doing live events, was that, you know, when we were online only, we kind of had an idea in our head of who was buying from us. And I think until we started actually seeing who was buying from us, we were we were off. We thought it was going to be younger people that had, um, you know, were maybe wearing like some of these distressed old throwback logos, ironically, like that didn't understand them. And then when we started to see that, you know, some of our, uh, a lot of our orders were for the people who did remember these stuff, these brands. And when we had our our, uh, first shop open, the way that people would come in and they would see a Swallens shirt or, you know, toes or whatever it was. And, and unprompted, they would just start talking, telling us a story, you know, like, this shirt right here, my uncle, my uncle worked here. My, my granddad worked here. My mom used to take me to Johnny's toys for my birthday. Like just the, the memories that like just seeing one logo would bring out people was like, man, it was like really cool for us. Yeah. Yeah. Gets a reaction out of people. Yeah. So where are you? It's not about us. I know Jeff Jeff is clearly the radio interviewer guy who is like in his 
it's like in his DNA to ask Flip questions. The let's. Where are you from originally? Uh, so I'm originally from my. So childhood was split up between Maynard, Massachusetts, and Lexington, Massachusetts. Maynard, Massachusetts, got about eleven thousand residents. It's twenty five minutes west of Boston. Um, lived there throughout early childhood, elementary school, middle school. And then in high school, we moved to Lexington, Massachusetts, which is famous for its history, its relationship to the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Lexington and Concord. And um, so finished out high school there. My mom still lives there. And yeah, growing up just outside of Boston, you know, it was a great, great place for a kid to grow up. There's just a lot of art and history and culture there and i just you know love like the northeastern sensibility and you know having four seasons a year um i can't afford to live there now but uh but yeah it was really cool to grow up there as a kid did you ever have a thick boston accent that you got rid of when you got into broadcasting or or did you not ever have it because i don't hear it at all yeah, a little bit. You know, it's funny because like not everybody has it. You know, it just kind of depends on like what part of the region you're from. Like there are some communities and school systems that emphasize you must pronounce your R's. And I also was I was that kid that took like radio, TV and film classes and I took speech classes. So that was always emphasized. But when I listened to like old tapes, when I first started out in radio, you can hear a little bit, but not that much, not, not compared to like one of the new kids on a block, you know, <laughs> Chowder. Yeah. But, well, well, that voice, I mean, like your voice is just so like perfect. Like there's, a, there's a certain radio voice, you know, cause you know, when I go do comedy shows, like every week that I'm on the road in a normal year, I'm at some radio station similar to Q102 in some city. And then, and there's, it seems like they all have that, hey, everybody, welcome, back, you know, <laughs> kind of voice. And you just have, like, you talk the off the air the way that you talk on air. And it's just, it's just kind of, I don't know, it's like soothing or natural or something. Is, is that, is that always been your voice or did you develop that over time when you got into this business? No, I mean, I, I had, I guess I had a lot of good examples. Um, you know, Boston, I think was like the sixth largest television market in the country. And, you know, I was a TV consumer as a kid growing up in the seventies and we had a lot of great radio stations too. So I don't know, maybe that just kind of subconsciously rubs off on you. I mean, I, I you know, there's it, just in terms of like presentation or diction or, uh, you know, you can't help your voice. You can't change your voice or alter that. And there's a lot of folks who work in broadcasting that don't necessarily have a deep voice, but they are over the top in personality. And I, and I think that's what matters to people more. If you're lucky enough to have a voice that isn't annoying, then that really helps. I think, you know, it, For sure. it's easy to listen to. No, that's not, that can certainly, so it really just from that point, if you got that foundation, then it really is just a matter of finding something compelling to suck people in. Were you a radio guy growing up or a big radio fan, a music fan or both? Uh, both. Um, so I went to private schools throughout elementary school. And so my stepfather, and my mom would drive me to school and we'd always have the radio on and it was just always part of the soundtrack of of our home. And I remember as a kid, like academics were very difficult for me. I have dyslexia, didn't know it at the time. I just knew that school was really hard for me. Academics were uh, challenging for me and it just made school not fun because I was always struggling to comprehend or to figure out this math problem. And where, you know, a lot of my friends could just kind of phone it in and get an A or a B or whatever. I was, really working hard to just get like C minuses. So the the school experience just wasn't fun. I wasn't particularly athletically inclined. So um, there was that. I was always trying to sort of figure out where I fit in. But on the way to school, listening to these guys on the radio on like WBZ, which is a legendary radio station in Boston, Carl DeSouz, Dave Maynard, um, 
nine news meteorologist Steve Raleigh, his dad, Bob Raleigh. I used to listen to his father, Bob Raleigh on WBZ. And, you know, he's another one of those smooth voice guys with just over the top personality. They were so entertaining to listen to and they were so funny and they would laugh and joke and they just seemed like they were having such a great time. And I thought, wow, what a way to make a living. You know, like I know so many of my friends' dads that hate their job and they hate what they do, but these guys genuinely sound like they're having fun. I want to go there. I want to do what those guys are doing. Anything is better than where I'm going right now. <laughs> you know, and so that that always was an interest for me. And it just so happened that the town that I was living in in Maynard, Massachusetts, the the high school, the public high school, which I didn't even wasn't old enough to attend, had a 10 watt student run educational radio station. They had one faculty advisor. That was it. But it was pretty much student run. And so I begged my stepdad to take me down there. They were having a radio thong where they were trying to raise money for local charity. And they said, you know, for like, I forget what it was, for a $5 donation, um, we'll let you read a story on the air. And so they had like this box of uh, children's books. And I just, they just grabbed one and they handed it to me. And I, I think I read like Peter Cottontail on the radio. And I was just thrilled to be in that environment to see what a radio studio looked like and looking at all those buttons and switches and knobs and microphones just to see how it all worked. And it just felt like I was sort of peeling back the curtain. And, and instead of being disappointed, I was just mesmerized at the technology of it. And the medium itself was powerful to me because I knew what impact it had on me as a kid, as a listener. So that, 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 that radio DJ listener connection felt very sort of intimate to me. The idea that you could create this theater of the mind through, through audio was intriguing to me. And so when did, uh, when you decided to start going down that path, did you, was it just like, I'll, I'll take whatever work I can get to learn? Like how, how does that, you know, we've talked to a lot of radio people on this podcast and the, they, they sort of share, share similar stories of how they ended up in Cincinnati with sort of moving up um, through the, through the ranks and, and radio and TV. But did you know at some point you wanted to do a specific format of a station did you have aspirations of doing talk or like how'd you end up to where you are now i guess i was kind of all over the road i mean my first my first impression was a team morning show because it's what i listen to most often by default a team morning show where you got a group of people in there that seem to be having fun. That's sort of a combination of like news, traffic, weather, and music, and maybe some pop culture thrown in there. But, you know, whatever it is you're talking about, it's just that, you know, the emphasis is mainly just fun. And over the years that would evolve to, wait, I, I think I want to be like the next, you know, Charles Lacquadera, who was a, a big morning radio personality who kind of did a solo show on a rock station in Boston. But then I was like, no, I think I, I think maybe I want to do television, like television news. That seems like it'd be a really cool job. Uh, but I'm a terrible writer. I got right. I'm just not quick. And it takes me a while to really drill it down. And I get very bored with, you know, sitting through city council meetings. So I knew this is probably not the job for me, but they seem to be again, having a lot more fun in radio than they are in a lot of these other visual and auditory mediums. So, you know, maybe that's it. You know, maybe that's the path for me. Um, I thought about just being a straight ahead DJ where I didn't really have to come up with content. I just had to uh, announce songs for four hours and then go home and maybe do a couple of club gigs and call it a day. That just seems like there's a lot of freedom to that. Watching WKRP in Cincinnati, you know, I I would listen just to the lyrics of the song. And I was told by radio personality after radio personality, listen, kid, this is a very transient business. You, you might live in one city for a year or six months, and then you're either fired or you move on to the next job. You know, you kind of chase chase the work. You, you go where the jobs are. And there's a lot of turnover in radio and it's very competitive. So you might spend, you know, the first 10, 20 years living out of a suitcase, literally going from town to town until you 
find a place that embraces you and you embrace it and you can unpack your bags and plant some roots there. And that is what ultimately happened. Um, I, you know, started getting part-time work when I was in my teens, still in high school. My first part-time job was at a tiny little radio station. doesn't even exist anymore. WSRO. 1470 AM in Marlboro, Massachusetts. It was just a local community radio station that, you know, played a lot of Barbra Streisand and air supply records. They had a small news department and I got to fill in for the news guy when he was on vacation. And when he wasn't on vacation, I would basically just pull from the AP and UPI wire, help him write stories, which I was terrible at. And then when I would fill in, which I was also terrible at, get some on air experience. And then just kind of stuck with it part-time until somebody eventually hired me full-time. And then work up the ranks from there? Yeah, my, uh, after that, you know, I, I got a part-time swing job at, uh, at an FM station in Worcester, Massachusetts. That was a big deal to me because now I'm on FM. <laughs> and, and then my first full-time job was at a uh, top 40 station in Portland, Maine. From 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. and I was just stoked because it was a it was a full time salary and it had benefits and uh, it was pretty much just stick to the playlist and announce songs um, maybe you know do a contest talk with callers a little bit but it, it was just really good solid practice for me and it was a good experience for me because I was living on my own I was just far enough away from my hometown where I was, I felt like I was independent and living on my own, but I was still with an arm's reach that if it all fell apart, I, I could go home easily. And that lasted for about six months. And then I got an offer from the competition across the street to work during the daytime, during daylight hours. And I got a midday shift. It was also on a top 40 station. And I literally just, you know, every six months to a year, if I would find myself out of a job because of budget cutbacks or because ratings were poor or because the owner just couldn't afford to pay me anymore, I would send out umpteen tapes and resume packages to every program director at every top 40 station in the country that I could find. And I would follow up with phone calls and send follow-up letters and say, did you get my tape? What do you think? Do you have any openings? Do you have anything coming up? Or I heard you had a vacancy or I heard your night guy left. You know, I'd really give anything for the opportunity to work for you at such and such station in Phoenix or wherever it was. And so from Portland, Maine, I ended up going to Sacramento, California. And I worked there for a year. And then my next job was in New York City. I worked for Hot 97 for three years. Wow. Started out doing full-time swing. Oh, that's a big one. There, it, it is a big one. At the time, this is before they were hip-hop, they were more of a, a Latino-leaning top 40 station that, um, you know, was more rhythmic. It was more dance-oriented, less hip-hop. Um, and I started out literally as a full-time swing guy. So they paid me full-time to basically work two or three days a week or cover when people got sick. And that's the beauty of working in a large market is they have the budget to do that. And so it was great because like during the day, you know, I go see like Broadway matinees or tour museums or whatever. And then I might go in at night and fill in for the night guy and work a couple of weekend shifts. And that was cool for the first six months. And then their afternoon guy left and I took over that shift for the next two and a half years before they flipped format, moved in more of a hip hop direction and, made a change that left me looking for a job, which ultimately led me back to Northern California. So, so I worked in San Francisco for a short time and then I worked in Tampa, Florida for a top 40 station there for eight years. And that's where I met Jen. Oh, wow. Interesting. Jen was doing middays on WFLZ, which was known as the power pig, which was a legendary station in Tampa um, top 40, but kind of in your face, a little more irreverent, cutting edge, just a fun place to work, really good people, owned by the great Randy Michaels, who ran J-Corp Communications in those days. And um, Jen was on from noon until three, and I came on right after her from three to seven, and that's where we got to be really good friends. We did a lot of appearances together, hung out a lot, and... Uh, uh, I think we worked together probably for I don't know, six or seven years before uh, our sister station had a morning show vacancy. And you know, we thought, yeah, we, 
we could do this, right? You know, we got chemistry, we're good friends. Well, we have a lot of experiences to share. Let's give it a shot. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna make it anywhere, we can make it here in a supportive environment where we know everyone and 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 they know us and the market knows us. Why not give it a shot? And so we did. So it was a sister station in Tampa. Yep. Still t- okay. And um, we started. We did our first morning show in January of. 2001 and we lasted a year and a half (laughs) (laughs) and we were bad it was not good um and in the station we were on you know it was a great it was a great training ground it was a great proving ground it was a um it was like a modern adult contemporary so we were playing a lot of like dido triple a yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, vertical horizon, <laughs> and you know the ratings were the overall ratings for the radio station weren't very good, and and we didn't really know like what kind of radio we were trying to do. We were still trying to figure out at the time. We were very unfocused, and there were just some monster morning shows that were already really successful. So it was hard for us to really penetrate. But the good news is like we were in the top five, but that just wasn't enough to keep the lights on. So they eventually ended up. Um, replacing the four of us it was me jen we had a producer a news person and a part-timer who would answer phones for us and they replaced all of us with one human being who just played music and within six months they flipped the format and kind of automated it and that was the end of that but that left us available to take the job at q102 because they happen to have a morning show vacancy around that time and the program director at that time in 2002 reached out, said, hey, I heard you're on the beach, heard you're available. I happen to be a fan because I vacationed down in Florida. So I've heard you guys. I think, you know, you're great. I think you have a lot of potential. I think you might fit in here. And so would you be willing to come to Cincinnati to, to talk about working here full time, show you around? Have you ever been to Cincinnati? Nope. <laughs> I know it's in Ohio. <laughs> but didn't know anything about this part of the world. And so it was eye-opening, flying into CVG, being picked up, and coming around that cut in the hill for the very first time. It was like, wow, this is cool. This is not what I expected. I've lived here my whole life, and I still feel that way about the cut in the hill, coming around the cut in the hill. Yeah. Especially at night. Yeah. What show was that that you replaced? Do you remember? Uh, I was think, it Brian and John Jay? Uh, no, it was after that, and I don't remember the order. I think it was Luca, and she wasn't on all that long. And I and I've never heard the show, but I guess she was sort of like you know, as it's been described to me, she was sort of like this British um, sort of like. She, I do remember. I do. Uh, yeah, like kind of like an overtype. She lives on the second floor. That's how I was. <laughs> I yeah, think I've but, seen her before, but um, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember her. I thought I think that would have stuck out to me. Well, it's my understanding. I read an article that John Keyswider wrote in the Cincinnati Inquirer around that time. He was writing about us being hired, and it was it was one of those like. Here we go again at Q102 articles <laughs> because I think he wrote, John Keyswider wrote that Q102 had cycled through 13 different morning show combinations over the over the last 10 years. Wow. And at that time, Q102 itself was trying to figure out what it wanted to be because it had been this dominant top 40 for many, many years. And then it, you know, competitors came onto the scene and it just kind of lost its way trying to reestablish itself. And part of that journey was figuring out who was going to anchor the morning show. And if a team had, you know, maybe lasted a year or two, they might have gotten an opportunity to go somewhere else or the ratings weren't just good enough for them to hang in there. And so it was a revolving door there for a while. And it was a risk for us to come because the Q102 was known 
for cycling through multiple morning shows over this long period of time. So we were rolling the dice, moving to a new city with no real guarantee that it would work. We weren't all that successful in Tampa. So uh, did it give you uh, any uh, kind of confidence though, that the station didn't had not flipped formats and, uh, a generation that would that at least because you, know, you have two things I guess are working against you in radio people might not like you your show just might not work and like you was mentioned in New York the format flips and more than likely you're gone we had no confidence whatsoever <laughs> because um not only did we not we weren't feeling that confidence in, our, in ourselves like that much confidence in ourselves we knew we knew we had potential we knew we had something that we thought could develop into something but it was untested, it was unproven, and we got the sense that Q102 was like, okay, you guys are it. Like, if you don't, if this doesn't work out, it, we're not just like blowing you guys up. We may reconsider what, what we're going to do as a radio station was the sense that I got. And in addition to that, it was made clear to us that Cincinnati's a tough town. If you're not from here, and if you didn't go to high school here, Good luck with that. So we came in here grateful for the opportunity, grateful that they were willing to take a chance on us and determined to love and embrace this city as hard as we could in the hopes that eventually we might be able to penetrate and and, and get some of that love back. And it took us a long time before we really even started to pop up on the radar, but they gave us 18 months and it was just long enough where I think we were able to bust the top five. Hmm. And that was enough for us to stay employed. Wow. Yeah. That'd be pretty stressful, huh? I mean, <laughs> I, what, what do you remember what you did to, to fit in and kind of learn, learn the ropes and the, you know, local lingo. And I mean, was your studio on reading road at the, at that time or, <laughs> It was. Yeah, we're in the same building that we were when we started. They hadn't been in the Reading Road studios that long prior to us getting there. But that's where they were when we arrived. That's where they remain for now until uh, summer of next year. And we literally, yeah, I mean, I, I would drive around. Wait, what? Hold on. What? You guys are moving? We are moving. Yeah, we're moving to Oakley. We have a brand new building under construction. So our studios will be moving uh july i think is the tentative hmm. move-in wow. date yeah so we're really excited about that because it's a brand new state-of-the-art facility and we got a pretty good facility where we are now um, you guys used to be before that i think before you got there they were in the same building as channel 12 right they were and I, I think, you know, it might have been related to ownership changes in part and also just by virtue of the fact they needed more space. And so this nondescript office building kind of at the base of Reading Road where Mount Auburn and 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 Eden Park, Mount Adams kind of intersect uh, was the perfect spot because, you know, you're relatively close to you're just outside downtown and it provided two floors of space that we didn't have in the old, that they didn't have in the old building at channel 12. Man, but who needs buildings now when you got zoom? <laughs> right. Howard Stern's working out of his basement. I mean, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> when, when are we going to get back to uh, normal, normal studios, which, which I guess everybody pretty much is now though. Right. Yeah. So we were, we were doing it this way for, uh, let's see probably, I don't know, two or three months. I'm trying to think of when we shut down. It was probably third, fourth week of March. And I was the only one in the studio. Jen Fritch and Tim were all in their homes. Somebody had to be at the station pushing buttons. And so as long as they stayed healthy, it got to be me. Uh, just because I run the console anyway now. And it sucked. I hated it because even though we were connected, it's just not the same things being in the same room with somebody and being able to pick up on visual cues. is just a certain body language that's lost. Um, we made it work and we got a lot of feedback from positive feedback from listeners saying, you know, thank God you guys are 
still continuing to do this live. We really appreciate that because you're one of the few portals of normalcy that we have here. But I was so happy when when they came back in the studio and and we still, I mean, we still are on a skeletal staff right now. Right now, we there was a period there where we had the majority of the staff was back in the building and. And then as the numbers started to tick back up again, they said all non-essential personnel, we're going to send you back home for the time being, but on-air personalities, you know, we have our plexiglass up, we're wearing our masks when we're not in the studio, we're constantly taking our temperature and getting tested and, and limiting our exposure and trying to be as responsible as we can and knock on, knock on wood, we've been able to make it this far without having to blow it up without having a quarantine, without having to go home. What else did you know about Q102? Or did you like learn anything about the history once you got here? I mean, other than that they had a reputation of having a high turnover on their morning show, like did <clears throat> did you spend any time like learning what the station kind of meant to this city, uh, but, you know, since its inception? Absolutely. Um, and I got to learn a lot of that from the man himself, Mark Sebastian. I was lucky enough to work with Mark Sebastian in Florida before I came to Cincinnati because that's where Mark Sebastian had was, was spending his um, semi-retirement years. And uh, so, you know, getting a vote of confidence from him saying, look, you know, station's kind of lost its way, but let me just give you the history. You know, this is, this is where it's at. You know, it's been on here since 1972. It's legendary. He, he told us about the time that he barricaded himself inside the studio and and played Billy Squire nonstop over and over again and just some of the antics of this team and its stature in the community and uh, the infamous parties at Sawyer Point. So we we saw that, you know, we were being entrusted with something that was highly valued and, you know, sacred to a lot of people. Part of their childhood, generation after generation has listened to that radio station and we approached that with a sense of uh, reverence and respect and we just wanted to do it right uh, and do right by the community and it's been uh, 18 years as of august we just celebrated our 18 year anniversary and couldn't be more honored to have lasted this long here and you know we owe the community we owe the, the people the listeners the fans everything yeah it's like I told you yesterday when I was on the air with you guys, like Q102 is the station that I held my record tape recorder up to, to record my favorite song or the parody songs that, that the station did. Like it, you know, like PF was saying, like there's, there's a little bit of a legacy and Cincinnati, maybe it's not specific to Cincinnati. And I only feel that way because I grew up here, but like, you know, EBN and WLW and Q102, they just they just have like this attachment the way that Cincy Shirts embraces like a lot of these old businesses that you see one of those station names and it like just transports you instantly to like the first time you heard a song or your first concert or, you know, like me sitting around listening to the radio with a tape recorder ready to go in case I uh in case my favorite song came on like it's just it's just one of those stations that just has a special place for people so it's yeah. nice to hear that someone would come to our town and and understand that and want to try to either bring that back or, or at least preserve it in some way yeah absolutely uh, you know and i think one of the things that helped that helped my understanding of that is because where i come from in the boston area it's very similar to Cincinnati in that New Englanders don't take kindly to change. <laughs> we had our, we had our staples growing up as kids, you know, WBZ, WRKO, our favorite personalities. Um, these are pockets where contrary to how the rest of the industry operates, turnover was low. People who were lucky enough to get a job working in Boston television or Boston radio, most most cases, you know, assuming they were half decent of what they did, got to hang out for decades, which is not really how it is in television and radio and most other markets. You see people coming and go or going off to the next job all the time. And that's very much like it is in Cincinnati. You look at the personalities here, you know, how many years Jim Scott 
sat at that desk or Bill Cunningham or Mike McConnell or uh, Eddie Fingers, uh, Brian, the Brian Douglases of the world, people who are wickedly talented and lucky enough to enjoy a story career for more than just years. You know, we're talking decades. That just seemed like, ah, you know, how, how could we even achieve something like that as outsiders? And so the fact that we lasted beyond five years for us was a huge like, wow, you know, what an honor that we made it this far. And to be able to plant roots here and make more friends and start families here has been a privilege. What point did you feel confident that this was going to be your home long enough to, to do those things? Was it, was it just finding that you could be successful as a morning show or was it something about the city that was like, I really want this to work out because I, I love to get here. You know, what, when did you feel like this was the place to, to be your, your home? Well, I have two answers for that. I, I always felt from day one that I'd be happy making this my home just because I love the community. It's very similar just from like the, the terrain here is, is hilly and it's similar to where I grew up. Even though we're not near an ocean, we're not a coastal East Coast city. It's just the architecture here, the four seasons, the weather, the street names, the town names, we share so many commonalities with my hometown that this felt very familiar and comfortable to me. So I knew instantly that I'd be happy here, but when did I ever feel comfortable enough to unpack my bags? I've never taken that for granted. I've always kind of been looking over my shoulder thinking, don't, I think the minute you take it for granted, the minute you unpack your bags, that's when things can, <laughs> that's when things can, can turn on you. And that may just be my superstition, but um, I've always tried to approach it like, Hey, you know, we're, we're the new guys. And even though we are entrenched in the market and we know a lot of people and we have history here, I still want to approach it as if I'm discovering still new features, characteristics, and nuances of the community, discovering them for the first time and having that wonder and awe, like, wow, this is really cool. I can't believe I'm this lucky to live here. I was just driving by the museum center yesterday, having that thought, like just looking at the architecture of that building and its uniqueness and just thinking like, you can't get that anywhere else, you know, and having, and, and I love the fact that like the, the, the movers and the shakers of our community, you know, guys like you and Molly Wellman and Jeff Ruby, like we all kind of know each other. This is, even though this is considered a big city, it's a it's a small town and that's a great way to feel connected to your community you know so where did second date update come from that's uh the the reason my wife tunes in when we used to well, you know, have to drive her to work back in the day second date update came from one of our sister stations they had been uh they've been doing that on the west coast for some time um and they might have been one of a handful of stations who've been doing uh a second date update type segment. And it was uh, huge for them. It was blowing up like gangbusters. And the program director of that radio station was having a con was having a conversation with our program director, Patty Marshall, and said, I gotta tell you, this is the biggest thing we've ever done. You guys in Cincinnati should totally do this. And uh, she said, Great, and take it to Jeff and Jen. She played it for us. We listened to it the way they were doing it out there. And I hated it. <laughs> I said, there's no way this is, it's, it, this is not who we are. This isn't what we do. And I, what I didn't like about it, I, it wasn't the bit itself that I didn't like. I just didn't like the way they made fun of people. Ah, that's cause that's how they were approaching it. Like it just, it sounded very mean spirited. It, it's, it felt like ambush radio to me and like the people getting, they were getting laughs, but it just felt like there was at least one person in that phone call that yeah. was not feeling good. And so for, I'm like, that's not who we are. I'm not saying that we got to be goody two shoes all the time, but I also don't want to crap on people. And that's what it felt like to me. And she said, and I think 
there's there's got to be a way that you guys can make this your own and execute it in a way that it doesn't come off that way. Just try it. And I forget how many years ago it was, maybe five, six, seven years ago. And it was in October and we did it. And it was really tough at the beginning to get people to call in for it. But uh, and we only did it like once a week because that's how long it took us to get someone who was brave enough to come on second date update. But I think once we established the trust and they knew that we weren't going to make them feel crappy about it or make them sorry that they get, you know, I can't control if somebody regrets that they came on and said too much. I just don't want to be responsible for that. I don't want it to be because we made them feel less than. And so I think that's part of why it works here. And it's entertaining, you know, we've been doing another feature called Jeff unzipped for a long time where it was kind of a takeoff of Greg Barron's book. He's just not that into you where you know, a girl would call in and she'd say, Hey, you know, I'm having this issue with my, with my boyfriend or with my husband, or, or even it could be like a mom calling about, you know, I don't understand my son. Why does my son behave this way? And it was really just me giving my uh, opinion as a guy, just my unbiased opinion as a man with a point of view, not an expert in anything, but I'm just giving my point of view about the dynamics of your relationship based on what you've told me. It was a way for us to talk about relationships on the show. And when I felt like we had gotten to a point where we had covered everything and said everything, Second Date Update kind of fell in our lap as an opportunity to keep talking about relationships, but in a different way. Because that's what Second Date Update ultimately does, is it always leads to a conversation, no matter how long or short the call is. That's cool. Because I, I really like that idea. That, cause I, that's why I don't really like prank shows very much, because I don't like making when people get made fun of. Now, if they've got it coming, like like what Borat does, that if you've got it coming, I'm all on board. But when it's, when innocent people are getting made fun of, I'm the exact opposite. I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, nah, that's not fun at all. Yeah. I always wonder, too, like, if it, if it works better or worse here because of kind of what you were just saying about it's a big city, but it feels so small. Like, oh, yeah. You know, in, in well, California or somewhere, it's like this could just be Bob. And this is, you know, Janet, <laughs> but in Cincinnati, it's like, oh my God, I know that guy. My, my wife heard a former coworker on Second Date Update and the, they were all calling each other and downloading the podcast to listen to it. And they're like, that is her, that is her. So yeah, yeah it's, it's funny you should say that, Josh. <laughs> and, and we got a coworker who got busted on our, it was a while ago, but yeah, you know, and luckily it wasn't anything like that was too embarrassing, but yeah, it's a small town, that's for sure. There have been some crazy ones. Mm-hmm. I, know, I haven't heard in a while because we only used to listen to it because I would take my wife to work uh, down to the P&G there. And, uh, and it would come on right, uh, it would start, the first segment of it would be right when we were in the car, so it was perfect. And uh, yeah, so, so I haven't heard one in a while. But you, have a, you guys have a podcast too, right? People can download the show daily if they're not, if their routine has changed because of the COVID? Yeah, portions of the show. Um and second date updating is usually part of that. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about, I mean, we talk about everything in the world of pop culture. You know, we talk about entertainment. We talk about um, trends or really whatever people are talking about. The subject of the most random topics, like the subject of doppelgangers came up today. And uh, just what can end up being, you know, a one or two paragraph story can sometimes morph into a 20 minute discussion but i mean anyone who like you guys know you do a podcast it doesn't take much to just latch on to something and the next thing you know you just spent 15 20 minutes on it without even meaning to that's the idea <laughs> on this one. Do, you, do you like at this point have like playing music is it is it make it easier on your job or does it make it harder that you have to squeeze in conversations um you know, in a specific amount of time versus just being able to talk on him for as long as you want or feel like you need to. Music is great because it's a bathroom break for me. I love it. Like it's, it's, it's just a breather. And sometimes you need that break. You know, we're trying to balance a lot. Um, You know, we obviously we do contests on our show. We, we do pick your purse. We do shop till you drop. And among other things, and, girlfriend getaways and so there were certain like fixed times of the day where we'll 
insert a contest. Plus, uh, we do the 1K letter of the day where we give you a letter of the alphabet. You have to answer 10 questions in 30 seconds that, be that begin with that one specific letter. Hmm. And if you do so successfully, you win $1,000. Plus, we wow. have second date update, which we run at different times of the day. So, so we have certain things that we can depend on that are going to be there. And then we have the rest to fill with content, which is easy to do. But I respect and admire anyone who works in talk radio where there is no music and there is no break and there is nothing to fall back on. If you're just kind of like, all right, I feel like we beat this to death and I don't really know where I want to go with this. So let's just take a break. <laughs> we can't do that on talk radio. We can. Do you uh, feel compelled to stay up to date on the charts and what's in them, or do you just kind of take more of a relaxed view of that and concentrate more on the actual, like you said, talking and uh, and what you're responsible for directly? Kind of. I mean, you know, I'm always curious. Uh, like, you know, Stevie Nicks was just in the news because she sold her catalog for, what was it, like $100 million, and she had just done this amazing duet with Miley Cyrus. And so there's always something that pops up or Bob Dylan. You know, I know we don't play a whole lot of Stevie Nicks and Bob Dylan on the show, but these are the kind of things that we sort of correlate to today's artists because, you know, the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of John Lennon's assassination came up yesterday. And, you know, to anybody who listens to Q102 that maybe didn't live, you know, they probably know who John Lennon is, but they don't appreciate his star power and what his death meant to the world. It's like, how do I use a present day example? I mean, that would be like, <laughs> you know, I, it's I almost insulting to try to think of one. Yeah, I don't even want to go there, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Imagine if Post Malone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't sound easy. <laughs> yeah. So is there a so is there a pressure to keep uh, coming up with new new fresh bits? I mean, it's like not only are you uh, you're competing for attention. There's so much content out there for people to to absorb, you know, on their devices and Spotify and whatever else is is you know on demand at your fingertips. Um, yeah, there, 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 focus on yourselves and do your thing. There is and there isn't. I think that's you, my favorite expression is you can't write this stuff <laughs> because it just happens. I mean, who could have written 2020? You yeah. know, who, who could have written the last four years in the White House? You know, love him or hate him. He's like no one else. It's occupied the Oval Office, and that just generates all kinds of, if not material about the man himself, just the subsequent way we live and interact with each other as a, as a society and as a culture. You know, when we went through the pandemic, I'll give an example, or, or more specifically, we're still in a pandemic, more specifically the shutdown. We asked ourselves, you know, what does our audience need you know, what can we do to help them besides entertain them and, and stay connected to them? How can we serve them? And we thought about the mom and pops who were struggling before the shutdown. A lot of these businesses that were forced to close and who don't have a big fancy advertising budget. How can we help them if only for a day? and have fun at the same time. And so we came up with Jeff and Jen's mom and pop spot where every Friday morning, if, if you're struggling locally owned business, a mom and pop who's struggling before the pandemic, but really having a hard time now after the shutdown, struggling to get back on your feet, call us, tell us about your business and we will create a 60 second commercial. And, you know, I use the term create loosely because we're not, we're not, we're not advertising executives. We don't work at a fancy ad agency and our production skills are not all that professional. So we're kind of slapping something together here at the last minute. So it's going to be a little goofy. And it's going to be a little bit whack, but it'll be memorable. And we'll have Tim go into the studio and turn something around and he'll employ all of our voices and we'll try to make it fun and creative. And even though that spot will probably never air after today, we're going to try to make it memorable so that, you know, it airs on the podcast and people can look back and listen to it and maybe generate some talk and remind people that they're there. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Do I remember you guys getting, uh, I don't know if it was Howard Stern or Opie and Anthony. Uh, I don't know if they pranked you guys or were trolling you or some, something. Uh, tell, us, tell us all about that, because I'm not sure I even know the story other than you're kind of getting picked on by the king of all media. Well, it's happened actually both. So the first time was a million years ago, long before I ever came to Cincinnati when I was working in New York at Hot 97. I appeared on New York's Channel 9, WOR-TV, for the Jerry Lewis telethon. We were doing live cut-ins from the local affiliate. And I was just happened to be wearing this kind of like, I was trying to get all dressed up and I was wearing this fancy vest and and I was doing the, the local plea to raise money for MDA. And evidently Howard Stern was at home watching it and he just like ripped me anew because he just thought I looked ridiculous and I was kind of goofy and I was using my pukey radio voice. And so he had some fun with that and he was equating my my vest to something like that Paul Schaefer would wear. And keep in mind, this was 1991. So you can imagine what, you know, what my getup looked like. And uh, and I heard about it. I didn't get to hear it, but I heard about it and I was so like starstruck and odd that <laughs> Howard Stern talked about me, even though he was ripping me. I I called over to K-Rock and I begged him for a tape of it. They had a policy <laughs> where they refused. They wouldn't give it to me. So I never got to hear it. But it was like the Monday after Labor Day 1991. And it's my lifelong dream to like track down that tape. And, and so oh, it's got to be there somewhere. It, you know, I want to hear Howard Stern talking about me. So that was the first thing. And then the uh, and then the second was in 2013. Opie and Anthony, who were on Sirius XM, had a feature. They may still do it, although they've broken up. Yeah, no, they're no more. But either Opie or Anthony, I don't know who's still on. Jocktober? Yeah, it's Jocktober, where <laughs> every day of the month, in the month of October, they just rip on a different show. And <laughs> I remember that. I don't mean to laugh, but, no, but I, mean, listen, I used to listen back then. It wouldn't be so funny if a lot of us didn't hand it to them on a silver platter, you know, and let's, let's take some personal responsibility for what we do. I think there's a lot of radio personalities and morning shows that take themselves way too seriously and maybe have, you know, lost their way or, or forget who they're serving or just in comparison to the type of radio that Opie and Anthony did, which is so vastly different than what we do. We serve a completely different audience and our bits are different. So I can see where there's humor there and it's funny. You know, it was funny. Uh, and I think it's a good reminder not to take yourself too seriously. So that was funny and also humbling at the same time. And then I heard, I guess like, you know, two or three Years later, they broke up to pursue solo careers or solo shows or something. And I guess one of them got fired, but I don't, I don't know what the circumstances were. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. It was, uh, it was, not, good. I mean, it was not a good situation. <laughs> but even, I mean, look at like the uh, evolution of Howard Stern. I mean, I can listen to him interview somebody all day. And that has nothing to do with, you know naked chicks or whatever he was doing oh yeah the yeah with all the, the shock jock stuff i mean as he's kind of you know grown up over the years uh you know he's he's much more palatable oh <laughs> well and his voice has changed figuratively and literally i mean i remember howard turned from back in the 80s when he was all nasally and just saying anything to shock anybody and then when he finally learned to use his voice and like you're saying darren the, the direction of the show went differently uh the combination of the two yeah he, i think i think he's finally earned that mantle uh and he made it prematurely worn uh back in the you know 80s and 90s yeah there's a certain there's a certain like frenetic nervousness in his voice. Like when you listen to his really old tapes, you can hear almost like a desperation to fill dead air. Like he wants to keep mm -hmm. the funny going. Yeah. And it's, it's this nervous energy and, you know, he's really hyped up and it's in, and if you listen to the interviews back then, they're, they're actually kind of hard to listen to because listen to the audio, like his voice is cranked up to you. You can hear him fine, but, his guests and even like Robin, any of the sidekicks are on the show were always like turned down a little bit so that he yeah. would always be the dominant voice. A lot of guys and do that. He, and he would constantly interrupt his guests. He would never let 
them open up really because he was trying so hard to keep it funny. And so over the years, I think Howard Stern has really like matured and yeah, he's definitely calmed down, but he sees the value in prep work, doing your homework, studying and really making someone who, gee, I never really thought that uh, this particular person would be all that interesting. I'm not really a fan of her music, but oh my God, like I just sat here and I listened to two hours of Tony Bennett and I was enthralled. <laughs> That's a talent, man. That's a skill that he's just, he excels at. He's so good at it. And he's a great example for all of us. That's awesome. Um, well, we're rapidly approaching the end. Um, obviously, people can listen Q and a two every morning. Um, do you have like a personal social media that you update? Or is it just sort of updated as the show? Yeah, I mean, I would just uh, I would just go to the show and download the Q one o two app. Search WKRQ. Uh, we're on Facebook, Jeff and Jen on Q one o two on Facebook, and uh, we're on Instagram and Twitter. And you know, you find me, Jeff Thomas, some personal Facebook page, and yeah, we're. Always looking for new members. You're accessible. Try to be. It's awesome, man. You have to be in this in a town like this. Yeah. No um, so, the other thing that we ask our guests to do is give us a word that people will be able to use as a coupon uh, until the next episode of our podcast comes out. So, you get to pick it. And uh, what would what would you like the coupon code to be? Gazebo. Hmm. Gazebo. Gazebo. Uh, all right. Is there is there a backstory? Is it yeah, one? and I'll and I can't tell it because I can't remember it. <laughs> it's, who's who's the movie star? Who's the movie star that talks like more cowbell? Oh, uh, um, for walking. For walking, yeah. Huh? Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. It's from an old Christopher Walken movie, and I can't remember that. But for some reason, it stuck out of my mind. As, as gazebo, gazebo, and I uttered it. I said it out loud one day, and it just so happened that we were talking about safe words on this particular day. Huh. And so it's gone down in history as everybody thinks that that's my safe word. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, anyway, that was a really sloppy way to tell a boring story, but that's the origin. It's a gazebo. Of <laughs> funny. Oh, that's funny. All right. So PF will put that up onto the website and uh, you can also use that in our store until the next episode comes out. Use promo code gazebo yes. to save 20% on your order at cincyshirts.com or in our uh, in our store man thank you for your time i know you you've already done a lot of talking already this morning as you do every day so to give us an hour of, of additional after you're off the air we really appreciate it but you guys are for sure an institution here and we're uh, we're all lucky that you decided to to put your roots down and i think you can unpack your suitcase man yeah <laughs> Well, I appreciate you guys saying that, and uh, it's my oh, honor. You know, I'm a huge fan of you guys, and I got a drawer stuffed of uh, your shirts, and I'm just a big fan of what you've accomplished. And so, thank you for all you do, and for and thank you for the interest. Yeah, of course, and uh, people will be excited to know that very soon we will have a whole lot of first time ever offered Q102 merchandise for for people to buy. We got some really cool new and. Um, vintage throwback stuff coming oh wow it's gonna be a, a q102 store so it'll be yeah. i'm sure you'll be talking about it when it's live but just a, as a little tease people can start to get excited about it That's or if you awesome. have any ideas you want to feed us for that too let us know uh i know we're gonna <laughs> our brains get a gazebo yeah. t-shirt i reckon if you ever have ideas for us shoot them our way something oh, that sure. happens on the show or Maybe we'll just do a show with the gazebo on it, and then yeah, I'll just like have that. to be. If you know, you got to yeah, know, to yeah. Know. You go. Gazebo yeah. with like a gimp mask <laughs> on, and, <laughs> and thanks for playing our song, man. That's like that's like the coolest thing ever to to hear 
a song on the radio, even if I sound terrible. It was just so fun. You're a part of history, yeah, man. It made my whole, it's made, like, it's, I can't tell you, like, not doing shows this year, being able to do that, and then to hear it on Q&A, too, is like, I mean, that's, like, amazing for me. Uh, that makes me feel good to hear that. All right, Jeff, thanks for your time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, All Jeff. Right. Take it easy. Great to see you guys. All right, bye-bye. See ya. All right, so long. Jeff Thomas, boy, that guy's got some pipes, I'll tell you. Man, I mean, Q102 is not actually my station because it's not supposed to be. It's, it, I'm a 54-year-old dude, and even though Jeff and I are probably around the same age, it's it's not, that's, I'm not the audience for Q102, but I don't mind it, and I enjoy listening to it when my wife listens to it. It's, it's fine. Always enjoy me a second date update. Uh, I can admit that. And uh, yeah, and you can download their podcast. Uh, just, just Google it. You can get it from various places, not only from their website. I reckon there's a lot of other uh, podcasting pl- uh, capture services, that, like where you get ours, where you can get their podcast as well. And of course, they're on Mornings Q102. I think they start around 6 a.m. or so. Now, if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast or someone you'd like us to have back on the podcast, simply email us podcast at cincyshirts.com. Put podcast guest in the subject line and tell us who you'd like us to have on or have back. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. Lots of uh, defunct sports teams, hockey teams, basketball, soccer, old shopping centers, old restaurants uh, for cities across the country. We have new designs going up all the time. It's like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode is Gazebo, standard spelling. I don't know if there's an unsignary spelling, actually. But it's gazebo, all one word, of which it is only one word. Uh, All uppercase, all lowercase, that part does not matter. And then you can use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Don't forget that. Or, you know what? Here's a hack. You can use it once on each site. How about that? Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream this next time. Bye.